0: did tell us what Ron said in regards to our gratitude for you coming and being a part of this and asking us to come. Some of you have been here every time the doors were open, and I hope that what we said was practical and hopefully helpful to you. If we can help you in any way, I believe our information is on the back table there, but... uh, Be glad for you to email us or to call us as the case may be and say, I'm dealing with this, what can I do? Or do you have additional material on this kind of loss? We'd be glad to do that. Use us as a resource. We'd like for you to be able to do that. In the 10 week class that I normally teach, whenever I'm talking to folks who have lost loved ones, I try to give them some homework. So here's some unofficial homework. Because you say, well, you're leaving. That's exactly right. So it's entirely up to you as to whether or not you do this. But somewhere on your pieces of paper, as we look at how to get through the grief journey, I want you to write down two words. Okay? I want you to write down two words. Grief is. And then you fill in the blanks. Because what is grief to you? We've talked about grief, we've tried to make it as practical as possible, but you can determine what your grief is better than anyone else, because it's what you live with daily. So how would you describe your grief? If you're artistic, how would you draw your grief? I've had people in our grief class that have done that, have actually drawn pictures (laughs) concerning their grief journey. In our 10 week class, I always ask people to do that. Sometimes they turn in what they write. And I want you to listen to these two statements. And I want you to tell me what the differences are between these two statements. To me, grief is like falling into a bottomless pit, continuously hitting the sides and being cut by the sharp rocks. There's no end to the fall, and the pain never ceases. There's no end, no light at the end of the tunnel, no way out. It is probably like living for an eternity in hell would be like. Nothing will ever be the same and so you wonder why go on. What did you hear in her statement? Pain, Pain? what else? No hope. I'm sorry. No hope. No hope and you said
1: Depression.
0: Depression. Yes, very true. This was a mother-in-law talking about the death of her son-in-law through suicide. And that's how she felt. Now I want you to listen to this one and tell me what you hear. In the Webster's Dictionary, grief means a cause of such suffering, a mishap, a disaster. To grieve means sorrow. Since May 22, 1999... At 7.55 p.m., not only has suffering been a part of my daily life, but that day was the worst mishap and the greatest disaster of my entire life. Sorrow is something that awakens me in the morning, and it follows me everywhere all day, and it goes to bed with me at night. People say, stay busy. How much busier can one be than to take a college computer class? Go to a grief support class. Stay active in church and help people less fortunate than I. I feel sad for what I have lost. I feel poor for the empty space. I cry for what I cannot have. I am restless for my life is not whole. However, you cannot abandon the ship simply because you cannot control the winds. I am not going to give up on God. I am going to thank Him for what I have left. What did you hear her say? Faith, strength, sadness, but hope. I love that last statement. You cannot abandon the ship simply because you cannot control the winds. What's so interesting about this lady in her 60s was that the time and the day of the worst mishap of her life was the death of her second husband. She had lost her first husband accidentally in a boating accident. Yet she says that the second husband's death, a terminal illness of cancer for some 10 years, was the worst day of her life. And yet she still thought there could be hope, faith, trust in God, even in the midst of those terrible losses. This lady tells the story of how that because of her husband's illness, there was a hospital bed in the room where he would reside until he died. And it had been there so long that there were ruts in the carpet. And that was just a painful reminder of his death. And so she just closed off that room. She just said, I can't deal with that now. Seeing those ruts just reminds me of the ten years that he went through before he died. You know, the Bible talks about sometimes how a little child will lead us. So one day that one of the grandchildren came in, a four-year-old, And noticing that the the door was closed, just asked a simple question. Why is Poppy's door closed? And before she could respond, he just bounded into the room. Began to talk about all the times that he sat there on the bed and talked to Poppy. And all the things that they talked about and all the fun times that he had. And he said she said a 4-year-old grandson could do what I for months had not been able to do open that door and see it not only as a place of death but also a place of living and making it through the grief journey that's where you begin to get better when you see it not just for the loss but also for what you gain from it. The handout you have in front of you has 600 bereaved families who talked about how they got through the grief journey. In common, these were the things that they did to make it through the grief journey. Number one, they find someone to share their grief with. We've talked about this and the idea that sometimes as mates, when your mate has died... You have to find new friends because sometimes people will see you as a fifth wheel. We talked about that in the widows and widowers class. It may be that a person has to, to move to a new environment. Try not to do that quickly, but some people may choose to have to move to a different place. Heard about a lady at a nursing home. A, mu- a new male resident moved in and the first day that he was there, she walked up to him and said, you look like my third husband. He said, third husband? How many of you had? Two.
1: <laughs>
0: A person may choose to remarry. That, that does not disgrace the marital relationship that they had with another. An 80-year-old relative of mine that did remarry after the death of his wife, said, it is a compliment to my first wife of how she made my life so very special that I choose to spend my life with someone else now because of her. I never thought of it that way. And they've been married for six years and are happily ever after. Number two, they make a decision to move on. Not getting over, just moving on. Not forgetting because you're never going to forget those loved ones. Number three, they clean up relationships. They clean up relationships. Y'all have this handout? Does there no? Uh oh, I thought for sure you did. Somebody does over there? If you have in the where is it? Last page. page. Some of them do not have it. We will run his off and and put them at the back table, okay? So that you will have that. All right? I'm not not sure what happened. But uh, we'll make sure that they are available to you. But in common, 600 families, these are the answers they gave. They clean up relationships. You know, after 9-11... There were a lot of families that began not to wait for a yearly reunion. They began to have them every month. Some began to have them every week because they realized how important life was and the need to be able to be with people. Number four, folks who make it through the grief journey become forgivers. Ephesians 4 verse 32, You be kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Ever known anybody that is long on memory and short on forgiveness? There are people that way, aren't they? General John Oglethorpe once said proudly to a preacher, I never forgive and I never forget. And the preacher said, well, I hope then you never sin. We all need to be willing to extend grace and mercy. And sometimes in family relationships, death brings to us the need to do that while we have the opportunity. That goes along with number five. They become amends makers. To make amends means that you try to join hands. You try to reconcile. You try to come back together. Death often makes families either bitter or better. I've seen both. I've seen folks who were at odds with one another, and yet because of the death of this notable person in all their lives, they come together. heard about a family that lost their mother, and when they went back home, she had the big family Bible out on the table there where they always saw things. And it was turned to John chapter 11. And it was those verses about a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this you'll know that all men, you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. She had marks to that point in those verses. So that even from the grave, one of the last actions she was telling her family was, you come together. You make things right. As I loved you, as God loves you, you be willing to love one another. And they did. Just this week I was talking to a man in the 70's. And he made the statement. I am so happy that I have my brother back. A death recently had occurred. And it got their attention. And it showed them that they too could die. This was an almost sudden loss of a very significant portion of that family. And so, they had come back together. And how wonderful it is. Number six is so, so very important. Those who make it through the grief journey learn that in giving, they receive. When they give to others, they receive. Helen Keller, whose home there is in Tuscambia. Anybody been to the play It's in the backyard of her place. If you haven't been in June, you need to do that on Fridays and Saturday nights. It is a great, great play. The original place where she learned the word water and the the water faucet there. spigot is there. And it's a wonderful play. But anyway, she made the statement, As long as you sweeten someone else's pain, life is not in vain. We get to the point where we have to take care of our own needs. But in time, we were able to see the hurts of others. Some of you are going to be able to know of the hurts of others far more than Ron and I because we've not yet experienced a loss of a mate. We've not yet experienced a loss of a parent or of a sibling. And so some of you have, and you may be able to help others through those losses even more so than we and by helping them, you help yourself. Bill MacDonald is an elder of the church in Centerville, Tennessee. He also owns several funeral homes. And he's also a grief counselor. He helped get us started years ago, and we are always grateful for him. He tells a story about this lady who lost her husband and how she would continually come to him as a counselor, but she wanted to stay in the same place. She didn't want to move beyond the law. She just wanted to stay right there in it. And so he did something somewhat bold as a counselor. He said, until you're ready to deal not with what happened, but with what you're going to do about it, don't come back. And for a couple of months, she did not come back. As he tells the story, one day he heard her before he saw her. His office was sort of an inner office, and he heard her voice out there in the outside office. And she was laughing and happy and cheerful, and then she came bounding in. And he said, oh, you look so great. What have you done? Have you done something to your hair? No, I've not done anything. You got a new dress? No, nothing like that. What have you done? Well, last night, I made a bunch of cookies. Oh, you're on a sugar high. he said. She said, no, no, no. She said, last night, I made 12 dozen chocolate chip cookies. I put 12 of those aluminum pans out in front of me. I put a dozen in each one of them. And then I took them to 12 other families that I knew were hurting. And what was her point? By helping others, she was helping herself. It made a difference as she was turning the corner. And we often learn that when we give to others, we're always going to receive... This man had a, a real good dog by the name of Dolly. And Dolly had a bunch of puppies. And he lived out in the, he lived out in the country, and so he put a big sign out there on the road, Puppies for sale. And this little boy came walking up to the farm, and he said, Sir, what kind of puppies are you? He said, Well, they're registered puppies. He said, Well, how much are they? He said, Well, they're pretty expensive. The little boy said, Well, I've got 39 cents. Can I see one? Yes. You can see them for 39 cents. The man called for Dolly to come out of the kennel. And here came Dolly and all these big fat puppies, just one after another, following the mother out, running toward the boy. Then here came one at the end. He wasn't running nearly as fast. He had a bad leg. He was walking very slowly in the direction of the boy. The boy looked at the man and said, Mister, he said, that one there, how much is it? He said, son, you don't want that one. He was born with a bad leg. He's not going to be able to run and play like the other ones. You're not going to enjoy that one little boy reached down to his pants leg and pulled it up. And from the bottom of his foot all the way to the top of his leg, you saw an iron rod. He said, Mister, this puppy will need somebody like me to understand what it means not to run and play. How much is this one, Mister? Is it worth 39 cents? He said, Son, for love, There's no cost. Sometimes, out of our own pain, we're able to help others in ways that no one else can because we try to make a difference in their life. Number seven, folks who make it through the grief journey, learn to live with the present moment. Philippians 3 talks about that one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. Think about that statement. Paul here is talking about lives of Christians that he had taken by going into their homes and putting them into prison. He had separated husbands and wives from children and thought he was doing the right thing as Saul the persecutor. But he said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. All of us have made mistakes. Some of us have made maybe more mistakes in the past. But it's what we do with the present once we have taken care of the past that is so important. And then finally, these people who make it through the grief journey share their new feeling of life. A person on the other side of grief have certain terms that they are known as. They are known now as a creative survivor. There's a line of ramifications of that word. Another is a wounded healer, still hurting but in the process of healing, trying to make it. There is light at the end of the tunnel, and they see that light, however small it may be. We have to decide if the journey is worth it in regards to the pain that we have. William Faulkner in his book, Wild Palms, put it this way, Between grief and nothing, I will take grief. We asked the question the other night, Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, Is it better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all? We have to make that determination. Oh yes, there is the pain. It is severe. It is great. But look at all the gains. Look at all the blessings that I received by the life that I shared with that person or with those persons. You go to the cemetery... And you see those those tombstones, and and sometimes you see the name of the people, and you'll see some dates down below. What are the dates typically on on a on a tombstone? What are they? The date of birth, and then what? The date of death. What's in between? The dash. All of us know when our day in life began. But right now, we're living our dash, aren't we? We don't know when the end's going to be, but God knows. And so we're living our dash, and it's up to us to live that dash to the greatest honor and glory to God, and if there are loved ones that we have lost, to honor their memory by the life that we live. Earl Grohman said the greatest monument you will ever erect is to live a life meaningful in memory of your loved ones. My hope is that something we have said or done will help you in that process of living your dash to the honor and glory of God and also in memory of your loved ones. May God bless you in that regard.
1: Christian doctor had a doctor visit with a terminally ill man. The man, after the examination, said, Doctor, I'm afraid of death. What's on the other side? And this Christian doctor, because he was an honest man, said, I don't think I really know. And this man that was sick said, you're a Christian, but you don't know what it's like on the other side. And as he was talking to this man, he had his hand on the examination, the, the, the door to another room, and there was whining and, and scratching at the door. And the doctor opened the door and in bounded his dog that was there that day. And the doctor turned to this friend of his and said, this dog has never been in this room. But he heard the voice of his master. And he knew that it would be okay. I think that's what the other side of death is like. I know my master is on the other side, and whatever it is that I have to face with him being there, that's enough. Tonight, do you have that hope that's found in a relationship with Jesus and his church so that you know the master Right now, and then whenever life ends for you, do you have that hope? If you don't, then don't leave this building tonight without getting that relationship right, either to become a Christian or to come back again to his church. whatever your need, we invite you to come and together we stand and sing.